Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Part of the big book is it's filled with these quick starts um, exercises. So you can't go more than a page or two pages without having a quick start exercise that takes less than 60 seconds. And it's all about the science of small, simple steps that I believe that a lot of people make things bigger in their mind. And that's why they don't take action consistently. And so you need to ask yourself, what is the tiniest action I could take to make progress towards this goal where I can't fail? I would actually challenge everybody. And I would say one thing you could do right now, a small, simple step is to take a screenshot of this episode and tag us both in it and post it and share your one thing that you got out of this conversation. Because again, when we teach something, we get to learn it better. We get to learn it twice. I'm at Jim Quick, you set the spell it right, K-W-I-K on uh, social media. And then I'll repost some of my favorites and I'll actually gift one random person as a thank you for listening to this show, uh, a signed copy of the book. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Jim, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, it's so good to be back. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we have you, as you've noted, uh, back here for a second time. And anytime we have somebody back for a second time, it's because it says a whole hell of a lot about how amazing they were the first time. So no pressure at all. But um, <laughs> You know, we had such a fascinating conversation last time, and you have this new book out called Limitless, which is filled to the brim with so much valuable insight and information. But before we get into all of that, um, I want to start by asking you, what is one of the most valuable things that you learned from one or both of your parents that influenced and shaped who you've become and what you've ended up doing with your life? Mm -hmm. oh, that's a great question. So Limitless is a book about, while the subtitles upgrade your brain, learn anything faster and unlock your exceptional life, the book really is about superheroes. And uh, I believe the journey that we're all on, I model it after uh, Joseph Campbell's, how he popularized the, uh, the the power of myth and the, uh, the hero's journey. And uh, so I talk about superheroes a lot, and my parents really are my, my superheroes. It might sound kind of cliche, but it's in my dad... Um, he moved to the United States when he was 13 years old. He had lost both his parents at that age. Um, they couldn't afford to feed him there. And he came to the States to, uh, to live with his great aunt, to, with, to, with his aunt, who was my great aunt, who I saw, I thought of as a grandmother. Um, didn't speak the language, didn't have any money, um, you know, didn't have the education. We grew up in the back of a, a laundromat that my, that my mother worked at, um, so it was, it was, you know, there were some struggles for sure where, where I, w I really feel like I won the, the lottery was in their example. My, my parents, they're not certainly the, the wealthiest or the most academically, um, uh, you know, inclined or the you know, health and wellness, most spiritual, but they're, they're amazingly just good people. 
they're, they're hard workers and they're extremely kind. And so with my dad, it was one of those things where, you know, both my parents, um, my mom also lost her mother at a very early age. And um, so family became most important um, in our life. And that was like a mantra growing up in terms of our values, how important because they were shaped by their loss of, you know, family members early on. I would also say that, you know, we were all working at a very young age and doing a lot of chores. And I remember when I would mow the lawn and, uh, or mow lawns and uh, I would skip over some part like behind a, a tree where nobody else could see, but my dad would make me go back and, and cut that grass and not because, um, and I would tell him that nobody could see it. He was like, no, but you could see it. <laughs> and it was one of those, um, you know, so kindness, discipline, hard work, um, you know, values, relationships. Um, yeah. So those were all things that really shaped who I am. I honestly believe that anything that's good that's come out of me came from my parents. And then I own everything that's doesn't, you know, measure up to par. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you're of Asian descent, and I think we, we maybe touched on this last time. First off, do you have uh, siblings? And uh, if so, like, what was the advice that your parents gave you in terms of making your way in the world as an adult, like, you know, career-wise, were they typical Asian parents of, like, go become a doctor or engineer? Uh, and if you had siblings, like, how, how did that advice differ? I have two siblings. They're both younger, a brother and a sister. So I'm the oldest. And I didn't grow up with... Um, traditional tiger parents uh, playing the piano and going to extra schools and um, having that uh, having that pressure my, my, my parents wanted um, they wanted me to grow up more more here culturally and um, and they didn't impose everything was they they loved us unconditionally and that was really an advantage for me that I felt like I could go but I felt an incredible amount of pressure inside to, to not, not to please them, but to make them proud. Meaning that I, I was very cognizant of, of how much they sacrifice for us. Um, you know, both of them had multiple jobs and, um, and be, while they were doing that, my grandmother, uh, raised me, my great aunt, if you will. And so, I was very, I wanted a lot of my pressure growing up with my learning difficulties from my head injury and, and all of that was self-imposed. Uh, they never made me feel like I had to perform, but I, I wanted to, to make their, their sacrifice, um, worth it. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned feeling this, you know, sort of profound sense of obligation to your parents for making something of the opportunity that they've given you and making their sacrifice worthwhile. And I think that that's common for most immigrants. You know, I think I feel that to a large degree, even with the work that I'm doing here. And I'm also in sort of that first generation where our generation isn't doing better than our parents. Like I look at the life my parents lead now and I'm like thinking, oh, mm -hmm. wow, I would love to be able to get to that just so I can be able to give back to them in the way that they've given to me. Whereas I remember when my when I was younger, I used to think, oh, I'm like I never want the life that my parents have. I want to be way richer than they are. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like um, it, I I had that pressure um, to make them proud because I had such on the other side of it, I've had severe learning difficulties, and so everything was magnified for me. And so I had to study 
harder to get less results as my peers in school, all through elementary, middle school, high school even. So, and those are very formative years where you're shaping your personality and your values. And so I was always working hard and that was my my purpose. You know, I'm gonna, in the book, I talk about motivation and a formula for motivation. You know, I, I really felt it um, and it was always present for me wanting to, uh, to, to make them, make them proud. And it wasn't just, it wasn't a, a financial thing for me. Uh, it was, it was to, to be an example also to my, my younger brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing, um, I guess what I, what I wonder is, you know, for anybody who's feeling that like in the way that I do, how do you overcome that sense of, of sort of obligation or the, the pressure? Because obviously, you know, on the one hand, that pressure can motivate you, but it can often also be the very thing that gets in your way of the ability to do mm-hmm. the thing you say you want to do. So in, this is very topical because as you read in the book, you know, what, when I talk about limitless, it's not just a book about accelerated learning and speed reading and learning languages and remembering people's names. It's also a book of, of unlimiting. Unlimiting is an active process of removing limits that hold us back. And one of those limits could be the that other people's expectations and their opinion matter more than they do. Um, meaning that I feel like a lot of us are fueled, as I was, by meeting other people's expectations or opinions. And they don't learn as quite or perform maybe because they feel like they're in a box or they put themselves in a box. Um, because sometimes, you know what, it's I spent a lot of time in senior centers working, um, visiting elderly. And one of the reasons why is because I feel like um, to be able to give, to be able to polish off memories, a part of the reason why is because of losing my grandmother and watching her go through dementia was, um, it was challenging, especially when I was going, you know, labeled the boy with a broken brain by one of my teachers and everything. At the same time, I would be with my grandmother a lot and she would call me by my brother's name or somebody else's name or repeat herself. That's something she just said 60 seconds earlier. And so those are the kind of things that, that left an impression and put me, um, on, on my path early on. And, um, and when I'm working, when I'm at these senior centers, I would, um, not only talk about brain health, like I'll teach at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Brain Health and work with their doctors and but more importantly, the, their patients and their caregivers uh, to give them strategies on how to, to, to mitigate and just, just optimize our ability to remember and focus. But I also, when I'm in those places, I, I, I learn so much because, you know, in, in my culture, you know, we, we really have some, you know, built into it. So, so this almost reverence for older, um, you know, the, the previous generations and there's so much wisdom there. And I really, I, I soaked that up going, you know, learning from, I believe the life we live are the lessons we teach and everybody could teach me something, especially people who have been on this planet longer than I have. But what I also get besides that wisdom and the opportunity to give back is I hear a lot of regret and, um, and the regret usually comes in the form of somehow we shrunk our lives uh, to fit into a box where, you know, it's like we didn't date the person that we wanted to date because of 
how people would look at it, or we pursued careers because it was expected of us, not necessarily that it was our passion or, or our purpose. Um, and it's challenging because I feel like we have this life here and we got one life, but we're not, we should be running towards our dreams. Like we're on fire. And yet when we're taking our final breaths and it's not a fun conversation to have, but if we were to do this thought experiment where we're, you know, with close to our mortality, we feel it at those, at that stage of our life, none of really our other people's opinions and our fears, none of that's really going to compare or matter compared to what's going to matter is how we lived and, and laughed and loved and learned. And, and I would, I would come from that place, you know, right now working backwards. And so I I feel like that's one of the biggest challenges. I wrote this book. It originally was a book on methodology, meaning this is how you speed read and this is how you do critical thinking. And this is how you focus and concentrate in turbulent times. But, um, but it wasn't complete when I was, when I was supposed to turn it in to my publisher, I asked myself this question. This question was, Will 100% of the people who read this book cover to cover, will they get the results they were hoping for? Mm-hmm. And my honest answer was no, they wouldn't. And that was, that was hard to kind of come into terms with because after teaching this for over 28 years, almost three decades, there's these patterns that I realized that knowledge, you know, when I talk about lies in the book, and it's an acronym, like everything I, t- I teach is always a mnemonic or alliteration <laughs> or something that's easy to just kind of capture and store and share. Um, but lies for me stands for a limited idea entertained. It's not necessarily true that, you know, you're not smart enough or you're too old or you can't learn this, but it's Mm -hmm. these ideas that we, we choose to give energy to, you know, I'm not creative, right. I'm not X. And so people can learn the methods of, you know, how to do these things. But then if their if their mindset is I'm not smart enough, then they're all, they're still going to be stuck in that box. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that keeps us in that box is that this feel this failure, this fear of making mistakes, the the fear of looking bad in front of other people, and um, and it, it shrinks. You know what we're willing to take on, you know what the, how we're willing to risk. Um, yeah. And I you know I think if, I think it's Seth Godin who said that if if failure is not an option, then neither is success. And, you know, we learned at some point in our life, probably in the area of childhood, that, you know, when you make a mistake, whether it's you're in a reading circle and you pronounce words differently than you're supposed to, we associate that, you know, and we shrink Uh down. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I just finished writing a blog post about risk titled The Essential Skill We Should Have Learned in Childhood That Impacts Everything Mm -hmm. in Adulthood. And I was like, how is it? You know, I interviewed an economist named Alison Schrager about this. And it it really, I'd been processing this idea for almost six months. I was like, wait a minute, there is literally nothing in this life that you get without taking a risk, whether it's a first date or a good grade. Every one of those involves risk. And somehow we're actively discouraged from taking risks. Like basically our risk taking capacity is drilled out of us with age. Um, 
which I think makes a perfect segue to talk about you know something that you said in the book. You say that we convince ourselves that the circumstances we're in, the least we've accepted, and the path we're on is who we are and who we will always be. But there is another choice. You can learn to unlimit and expand your mindset, your motivation, and your methods to create a limitless life. And you actually offered three key tips to overcoming a belief that puts us in this place. Um, so one, you know, how do we do this? How do you overcome those? And what are your thoughts on this whole idea of risk? Uh, I just kind of want to talk this out because I've not got yeah. to talk to you about it. No, this is wonderful. I love, I love geeking out over this because, uh, I feel like it's, it's the most important conversation because again, people could know what to do, but they won't do it for fear of looking bad. And we talk about how children are such wonderful learners. Um, you know, even when they're first learning how to walk, they could fall, you know, countless times, but they didn't, you know, after the 17th time, they don't say, okay, forget about it. I'm just going to crawl the rest of my life. But sometimes as adults, we'll take a coding class or karaoke or, you know, a salsa class or something, and then we'll get to have an experience and then we, we, we won't pursue it anymore. And so these lies have to be go through a process of unlimiting. And so, you know, what I focus on is I focus on seven lies in the book that are just, I feel like generally widely accepted um, and, but they really are BS. They're, they're just our belief systems. And those are the things that could keep us back. And, you know, you've heard these, I've heard these anecdotal stories where if you go into a group of five, five-year-olds and say, how many artists are in the room, they'll all raise their hand. They'll follow up maybe a decade later, how many artists are in the room? And then it's like 5% of the room. And, um, so how do you reframe these limiting beliefs? And so I take people through the seven ones that consistently come up in my experience and you know we have a lot of data just because we have students and 195 countries online for our programs and you know obviously our, we have our own podcast so we get a lot of feedback um it's very very simple formula that's pr it's pretty logical you know we go through a process of reframing beliefs and it's we it's we start with first naming that belief because it's hard mm -hmm. to change something that you don't realize is there or it's unconscious yeah. Um, and they don't, you know, it, because it's invisible, we can't address it. And so some of the beliefs we talk about in, in the book are things like the things we've talked about that intelligence is fixed, you know, from birth. And so you take a test when you're seven and that's your potentiality when you're 77 or something like that. A belief that we use maybe 10 or 20% of our brain when, we use actually all of our brain is more accurate. Like we use all of our body. And so I, the second key to it, after you're aware of the actual and you name it, the, the limiting belief, the lie limited idea you entertain is number one is, is just to do your research and get the facts. You know, is it really true that you are bad at learning or bad at leading or bad at public speaking? You know, what evidence is there to support that? And then we go into the, you know, I do a lot of, you know, it's, it's pretty heavily cited. I didn't want this book to be um, too much science because I want right. this to be able to reach and be very practical for, for everyone that's reading it. And so we, we introduce a lot of doubt into the system in terms of, is this true? Is this, is this really something that's accurate? We have some stories, some anecdotes, a little bit of research to prove to the contrary where you're getting the facts. And then from there, we go to the third stage, which is creating a, a new belief mm -hmm. that they could adopt. So instead of something like intelligence is fixed, um, explaining that, and then it, 
give them another option to to acquire something yeah. like intelligence is fluid or we use 100% of our brain you know a lie would would be something like knowledge is power because we've heard it so many many times and i've even found myself saying it but mm-hmm. in actuality just knowing something doesn't really make a marked difference in our life unless we're yeah. utilizing it and so the contrary would be you know knowledge times action equals power Right. And so those changing those things like mistakes are failures, you know, and not wanting to look bad when we know that everybody has gone through that process, that failure is not the opposite of success. It's part of success. And that mm-hmm. mistakes doesn't mean failure. Mistakes are a sign that you're trying something new, that you that you might think you have to be perfect. But it's not about comparing ourselves to every person that's out there and just reminding people that they are not their mistakes and making a mistake doesn't mean something about you as a person other than you're willing to try and risk right yeah. and it's easy to jump to the conclusion that we're inherently less than because i think a big fear that we we all struggle with is being enough you know mm-hmm. that we might feel inherently worthless like when i was labeled that you know it that boy with a broken brain. It's not something that I, it was installed through my environment, through expectations, through experience. And, um, and so it's, I don't believe it's that, you know, certainly we make mistakes, but mistakes don't make us. And so a mm-hmm. new belief is something like there is no failure. It's only failure to, to learn something. So we know a lot of you have been listening to us for years and it means the world to us. What we do here at the unmistakable creative wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners. If the podcast has been valuable to you, one of the best ways you can support us is to subscribe to Unmistakable Creative Prime, which gives you access to transcripts, all of our courses, monthly coaching calls, live chats with our guests, and an incredible community of creatives. And it costs less than you spend on a cup of coffee every month. For the school teachers and people in our education system, Prime is completely free to help you with this transition to teaching online. We've packed it with a ton of value and actionable content, and we hope you'll check it out. Just go to unmistakablecreative.com slash prime to learn more. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash prime. One thing I wonder is, you know, speaking of, of, you know, knowledge times action, could we take an existing belief that I have? Because I was thinking about Mm -hmm. this as you were saying this, and I was, I I remember this was something that came up in my mind. So I'll give you the belief um, just for the sake of a practical practical example, and I'll give you my reason for this. One of the things I I say, and I've realized I say this very often to people, is I say, I'm not a great marketer, but I'm actually a good creator, and I'm much more committed to mastery than marketing because I suck at marketing. Um, and I always say, yeah, that's why, you know, 10 years later, there are people whose audiences are far bigger than mine who started way after I did. Mm. And that belief, I, I, it never occurred to me how often I say that until I came across this section in your book. Mm. And, and there's consequences to that, having any kind of beliefs because all behavior is belief driven. Yeah. And uh, now, now I'm, I'm curious when you, when you say those words, do you, do you, do you really feel like it's true or do you feel well, like it's being, uh, well, I, I do, I do feel like secondary it, gain. So I, I do feel like it's true to some degree, partially because, um, I have seen people who started after us now, mm-hmm. keep in mind, the circumstances are different too. There are variables in there that mm-hmm. I actually always kind of leave out when I say that. So for right. example, if a person has a hundred thousand people on an email list and they start their podcast today, 
of course they're going to be, you know, like mm-hmm. bigger, have a bigger audience than ours right off the bat because of the fact that they have this one component that actually is much bigger. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think part of it is it's like, oh, there's always this feeling of like, oh, for how long I've been doing this, we should be bigger. We should have sold more books. Like, you know what it is. I mean, it just right, kind of, right, right. it's this like cascade of all these other sh- of shoulds that come from that one thing. It's interesting. I mean, I, I feel like it's, I, I've done the same thing. I, I talk about for the first time really publicly in the book, my sleep challenges. And I, um, I, for 10 years, I, I've overcome a good portion of them uh, of recent, but for the prior 10 years to that, uh, for the first five of those 10 years, I slept about 90 minutes to two hours a night wow. and, um, not, straight, like deep sleep, very interrupted where, um, it wasn't until five years into it that I had a very comprehensive overnight sleep study at a clinic where they, you know, they diagnosed me correctly that I had very severe sleep apnea where I wasn't breathing. I stopped breathing about 214 times a night. And each time was for a count at least 10 seconds. So the doctors, you know, we were like, no wonder you're not sleeping. It's like somebody coming in 200 times a night and putting a pillow over your face. And, um, and so, and I later found out that my parents have it both also. And so did my brother and sister, not as severe as mine, but that's my, my Achilles heel. That's my, my, you know, my kryptonite, if you will, because it also got amplified back in school when I would pull all these all nighters. So at a very early age, because I was compensating for my learning deficiencies, uh, you know, by pulling, you know, not having normal sleep, be able to, to, to be able to compete and be able to stack up as well as everyone else in class. And that, that took me all through high school and, you know, for early college. And then on top of it, when I launched my career shortly after that, I was flying everywhere. So, you know, time zones and sleeping in foreign places. And, you know, not, if you, when you're a memory expert, you wake up in a hotel and you don't remember what city you're in, you know, there's a <laughs> challenge, right? And, you know, even these times over the past, you know, decade and a half going to three continents in one week. And so it really, you know, it intensified already, you know, a challenge that I have. Um, and so after that, then I got properly diagnosed and I got treatment, CPAP, dental device. And then I had a very painful surgery called the U-triple-P, which is um, where they cut out your uvula, your soft palate, your tonsils, and um, you know, very, very, it was very painful, but it made a difference. And with all these things, my sleep jumped to about four and a half to five, four, about four and a half to five hours, but I was still waking up post and they still didn't understand it. And that's when I leaned into, you know, everything else from people in our peers that you and I have had on our shows that teach our sleep experts and biohacking experts and and built this, you know, sleep sanctuary and all that. But that's a lot to say in that I found myself also saying that, well, I can't write a book and do as well as I should because I have this weakness, right? Mm -hmm. I have sleep challenges and I would use it as an explanatory schema to explain why I wasn't as successful, why I wasn't, you know, reaching 10 times as many people because of, of that situation, you know? And so I, I, I completely get it because I think all of us have it in some form if we're willing to kind of, you know, a big part of the book, as you're aware of is, 
is self-reflection and, and building mm-hmm. self-awareness because I believe it's a superpower that it's, it's hard unless we make things, bring things to the conscious level to make changes because you wonder why you procrastinate. You wonder why you self-sabotage. You wonder why you defend your limitations. And I, and I, and you, and this is me having taught this for three decades still, yeah. you know, have my, my own personal struggles with it because people come to me all the time and say, Jim, I have a horrible memory. Jim, I'm too old. And Jim, I'm not smart enough. And I always say, stop. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm not, but I'm not auditing myself and self-coaching myself, realizing that I was using my lack of sleep and maybe I was reinforcing it because I would get a secondary gain out of it because people play like they would give me, um, sympathy, right? Yeah. They would give me an understanding. Also like, wow, Jim's achieved, you know, able to impact so many people and he's doing this on two hours of sleep. Isn't that amazing? And mm-hmm. then I started getting, you know, a, some kind of secondary gain on that. And maybe unconsciously I was reinforcing that process. So I would do it more. And then that belief kept me from sleeping, meaning wow. that like I wanted to be consistent with it until I got <laughs> to the point where we all do, where there's a shift and, you know, it's part of the motivation formula that I give. It's just, there's a shift in, is this giving me the result that I want? You mm-hmm. know, while it, you know, I do get some kind of gain as many as people go to, uh, you know, friends and they talk about, you know, their challenges, they get, you know, it, it, they're not as apt to change it or make a positive empowering change for themselves because they are getting their, they are becoming significant because of their problem or their bonding with that person because, you know, they, people feel bad for them, you know, or something Uh like that. And so, um, what I've learned to do is to reframe these things and be more cognizant of it because I was like, you know, you know, I started in my mind saying all the excuses, people realize that if even I have these sleep issues, that, that it's not, it's not serving me. It's not serving the greater good of the impact that I want to be able to make because I'm much like you. I feel like I am a creator and I didn't get involved in entrepreneurship to start a business. Mm-hmm. It's not something I'm very passionate about, but I wanted to scale my art, you know, and my art of impact. And that's yeah. why I do it. You know, I also could say that I'm not as motivated to while people see my feed with a lot of celebrities, it's, it's, that is more of my, you know, my team being fully transparent right. us on our mission to be able to, to positively impact, you know, billions of brains because I had the broken one. Our mission is to leave no brain left behind. You know, our community is very finite, meaning the personal development or whatever you call that. Maybe it's a handful of millions of people, but I wanted to reach other people that would go into a bookstore and purchase, you know, one of our books Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, because they just, it's not what they do. But if they see a celebrity saying, oh, I listen to this podcast or I said, you know, I'd subscribe to this, then it would reach people that, that I really wanted to reach. And it's a, it's a long way of saying that I got sick and tired of actually using that excuse and realizing the consequences of what it was costing me by saying that. And I reframed it and I found gifts. I said, okay, I can't change what happened in the past, but I could find a gift that came from it. What are the gifts? Just like with my learning challenges, it was, I became Mm -hmm. a really great learner. What was my gift that came from me being, having challenges you know, we've talked about this in your previous episode that, you know, my, my superpower is being coming invisible. I didn't want to be seen because when you feel like you're not enough and you don't have a lot to offer and you have a broken brain, you don't want to give a book report in front of a class. You don't want to be called on. 
you know, I always sat behind the big kid in class because I, you know, I want to be invisible and I want to shrink down. But at a certain time, I just got, became sick and tired of being that person because it wasn't, it didn't feel who I was authentically was because even though I said I didn't want to be called on or I didn't want to be seen or I didn't want to be heard, I think we all do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I found yeah. the gift in it and those two struggles, public speaking and learning the universe has a sense of humor because that's all <laughs> yeah. I do for a living right. is I public speak on this thing called learning. But when I asked yeah. this question, where, where was the gift in my lack of sleep? It mm -hmm. was, it forced me to lean into what I teach so yeah. I could be productive and I could perform, you know, at, at a high level, despite yeah. of having a finite amount of energy. And then what was the other gift? The other gift is, you know, it, it forced me to be very, very clear of my commitments you know, so everything became when you have a finite amount of time or energy or temperament, you don't overcommit to things. You only do the things even now. And that's still, even now I'm sleeping much better. And I talk about what I do in the book specifically, because I think energy is an important part of motivation. Yeah. I still am trained to, to, to do everything that I teach because I'm number one, want myself to benefit from it uh, because I've went through years of suffering and struggling, but then also it's, I still maintain that same filtering system. Like right now, there's no one I'd rather be talking to. No one, no one ra rather I'd be like right now at this time, because all my decisions are based on just being fully, you know, aligned with mm -hmm. my purpose. And so those are two gifts. And then I could, from there, I can honor that and then just, and I can move on, you mm -hmm. know, just do something to better, you know? And so, so a reframing for, you know, what I've done with being a creator, because I never, I, I never, on myself as much of a marketer is just if you see yourself as a creator maybe a reframe like what we we're talking about the three-step process is that you, you you see yourself as a maker you see yourself as a creator and i see that as also in a powerful ability to enhance your your marketing because you mm -hmm. can create amazing marketing you know yeah. amazing art and then you know also reconciling you know part of this cocooning that everyone's going through right now i use that very specifically because i feel like we're going through metamorphosis there's a change of cycle and while the beauty is in the butterfly the growth happens in the cocoon and part of that what we could do while we're cocooning is when you're going 90 miles an hour or 100 miles you're just going really rapidly fast rarely do we have a moment to check in with ourselves to say like are we going in the right direction are we we're climbing the ladder of success is it leaning on the right wall and so yeah. using this time to clarify what's most important to me in my life and my career and my relationships and my impact, and then asking a secondary question, like, are my actions, you know, are my daily actions getting me closer or fulfilling those, those values? And if they're not, it probably explains why we could take a step towards something and not follow through or take, you know, a step back and, and constantly be out of alignment. And so mm -hmm. I feel like, um, what you have described, what I have described, I think everyone has that area of their life where they feel like they're in a box yeah. where they, you know, they're on, maybe they're on purpose, but they're, you know, for some reason. And then I think comparison also is, what do they say? Comparison is the thief of joy. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's ingrained in us because of social media. As we're scrolling yeah. through, we always unconsciously have this, you know, potentially this digital depression if meaning that sometimes, you know, we know this cognitively and intellectually, we know we're, we're looking at the highlight trailer of everyone else's lives. That's really filtered and the grass is maybe not greener there, but it's the 
grass is greener where you water it, but sometimes online, there's a lot of artificial turf. There's a lot of filtering that makes it look green. Um, you know, but, but I think true happiness comes in coming back to feedback that if we fuel our lives with the expectations or opinions or comparison, then we're even good and bad. I mean, even positive praise also that we're going to eventually run out of gas if it's coming from externally. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of funny to even hear you, you know, talk about this. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm saying that I'm bad at marketing. And I literally wrote a book about standing out in the world, like <laughs> the thing I got a book deal for. So it's, you know, ironic that I even believe that. Um, well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's actually get into tactical components of this, uh, because I think that you provided methods. And I, I, I think it is kind of funny, like the, the sheer volume of acronyms. I was like, wow, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, your brain definitely works in a way that I, I realize you found all these different ways of, of dealing you know, with whatever issues you have that are fascinating and incredibly effective. Um, I don't want to go into focus because we've just done mm-hmm. so much around that um, with, you know, people like Hal Newport um, and sure. all the other people that have been here. Um, but before we get into sort of studying memorization and reading, I do want to briefly touch on something that you said uh, about the education system. And you and I talked briefly about this last time uh, you were here, but you say that education hasn't changed enough to prepare us for the world that we live in today in the era of autonomously driven electric cars and vehicles capable of taking us to Mars. Our education just in the equivalent of a horse and carriage. And you yourself said last time you were here that if, if Rip Van Winkle woke up, the only thing he would recognize after a hundred years of sleep is our education system. Uh, I mean, clearly this has been going on for long enough. We're in a student loan debt crisis like we've never seen before. Um, Sadly, you know, in most cases, I mean, even a Berkeley computer science degree, which is one of the most elite universities in the mm-hmm. world, is outdated by the time you graduate. Uh, what, what, if any, has been the response from the education system to your work? Like, have they said, you know, we need this? Like, why aren't you the secretary of education instead of Betsy DeVos? So um, one of the, the kindest uh, blurbs that we got for the book was from uh, Sir Ken Robinson, who I, re- I really admire uh, many of you are familiar with him. He's got the number one TED Talk of all time, and he was knighted for the work he did in education and creativity. And um, and so, you know, I, I feel a huge sense of responsibility because of what what I went through in the education system, meaning that I struggled, uh, I feel like, primarily because school taught us what to learn, you know, what to focus on, what to read, what to think, you know, what to study, what to remember, but not how to do those things. So those are the chapters of the methodology part of the book is how Mm -hmm. to focus, how to learn, how to study, how to read better, how to remember things and how to, you know, critically think. I feel like um, it has been embraced at a ground level. And that's been my approach. You know, while I have spoken at various universities from from Caltech to Harvard, and we have an, um, an enormous, um, um, uh, huge um, following base or student base who are educators. My, my, I have a huge amount of respect for teachers. My mother became a school teacher for decades um, when I was going through these challenges. She recently retired, but she she did it because she didn't know how to help me, and so she made that a focus and wanting to help other other children along the way. Um, it's just a system issue because that's wow. a system systemic issue. Um, just like a lot of, whether it's healthcare or other areas, it just hasn't changed um, as much as everything else has. Um, and so if I could teach anything in school, I mean, when you think about the, the, the gaps, it's, you know, it's not just, I think learning how to learn should be, uh, you know, paramount in school. 
learning how to think. I mean, there's this area I talk about in the book about digital, even before what's going on in the world right now, these three supervillains and these four supervillains, I would even say there's now five, but digital deluge, too much information, exactly what you're saying. The half-life information is getting shorter and shorter and people who are graduating, they're, they still have to constantly learn. I think it's the greatest advantage is learning how to learn because change is going to be the, the constant. So that's why yeah. in the book, we talk about speed reading and study digital dis- distraction, which we talked about in your previous episode about the power of focus. Um, because in a, ra- in a world full of rings and pings and dings and, and, so- and social media alerts and app notifications, how do you maintain your concentration? And then third one, besides digital deluge and digital distraction is digital dementia, where we're using our smart devices as external memory storage devices, and we don't have to remember things. And granted, I don't want to memorize 300 phone numbers, but it's, it should be concerning. We've lost the ability to remember one yeah. or a conversation we just had or something we just read, or, uh-huh. you know, or a name, something simple. And then the last one that's topical for this one is digital deduction. And it's a term that I just coined because I wanted to come up with something that was a D <laughs> and uh, because it's, you know, just like deluge and distraction and dementia, digital deduction. <laughs> I'm just defining as that they're doing these studies with kids and they're not, they don't have the analytical ability of previous generations because when they're growing up on technology and technology is not only teaching them, you know, you know, whatever it's teaching them, it's also teaching them like what, like what to think. And so we don't have to, in a world where we're already overwhelmed, we want shortcuts and I'm not mm-hmm. just talking about fake news. I'm just saying that every everything is saying is recommended to us automatically. And I'm not saying it's bad thing. I'm not saying any of these things are bad. I don't want to memorize again. It could be, you know, or I don't want to be able to. It's great that we have, the, uh, you know, access to unfettered access to all the information, you know, but the other side of it is there's overwhelm. You know, it's, uh-huh. it's wonderful that we have all these opportunities and apps and, you know, but the other side of it is distraction. And so technology is not good or bad. It's like fire. Fire could cook your food or it could burn down your home. It's just how we choose to use it. And I, and I, all I ask people is that I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not anti-technology. I'm just saying use it consciously because when we're picking mm-hmm. up technology out of boredom or just out of pure habit, then the technology, you know, technology is a tool for us to use. But when, you know, technology is using us, then who becomes the tool? And right. digital deduction is just, you know, we're not, we're not having to use um, our analytical ability or, or, or critical thinking. You know, we don't have to do those things. And so I feel like those, these are all muscles and it's use it or lose it. And so I feel like teaching people how to learn, how to think in school is much, you know, and then also, you know, social intelligence, emotional intelligence, you know, creativity. We even began before everything that's going on right now in the economy and the world is jobs are going to automation. They're going to artificial intelligence. And what's not going to be as easily outsourced to a machine is creativity. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when I talk about being limitless, I think the limitless resource that we have on planet Earth is human potential. You know, that the sky's not the limit. It's, it's our mind is the limit. You know, there's no limit to our creativity. There's no limit to our imagination. There's no limit to human determination and our ability to come together. Um, so I would love the education system to embrace more of that. So independent of if you're applying it towards a periodic table or Spanish or Mandarin or anything, it's yeah. just you have skills and you could adapt because ultimately it's human beings are adaptation machines. It's just, you know, how can you learn how to learn those subjects and those skills? Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's funny you mentioned sort of, you know, things are being recommended to us. I think this is one of the things that I've found really somewhat frustrating about the whole COVID experience because um, this is a, one thing I started to realize was how often the, the fundamental difference between walking into a bookstore and just looking around and mm-hmm. going to Amazon. And honestly, you know, I have discovered so many people that I would have never spoken to here. Like I got to interview Andrew Yang, a presidential candidate. Oh my I only found out about him because he was in the bookstore. Like I, I stumbled upon his book and there's, you know, sort of, uh, I, you know, I think that bookstores are made for browsing. Amazon is made for searching and searching basically is already kind of predetermined in terms of what you're going to get as results because of mm-hmm. the algorithms. But, um, before we let, let's let's actually get yeah. into some of the tactical components of this. I, I would love talk- to. Can, can, can I comment on that? Algorithm? Yeah, please go it's, ahead. It's 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 really pervasive because again, a lot of this book is about taking the invisible and making it visible. Mm-hmm. Because it, when you make it mind, you're you're conscious of it, then you could potentially change it for what is not right or wrong. It's just what serves you. And so, you think about algorithms on social media, Facebook or Instagram. You're scrolling through. If we engage with every cat post, we like it, we comment or we share it, that algorithm is going to show us a lot more cats, right? And again, it, it can be, it can be great because if we love cats, that's, that's, that's a wonderful thing. The challenge is though, is like our mind has that same algorithm. So for those people who are choosing to, to indulge in the news, and I'm not saying, again, this is all choice. There's a, there's a quote in the book from a French philosopher that I put in there that's very paramount saying life is the C between B and D. Life is C between B and D. B is birth, D is death, C is choice. And uh, that's life is a series of choices. But when we choose to indulge, maybe some people could feel like maybe it's a, a little bit too much. And the reason why it could be a challenge, and I'm not saying again, know what's going on so you can make good decisions. But if we overindulge, and who's to say, you know, what that point is individual for each person. But as we engage in negative news, because if it bleeds, it leads, you're going to tune in. But if you're really, if then that same algorithm that you're engaging with, just like you're engaging with cats on Instagram, if you're engaging that, your mind will just show you more of that, let's just call it darkness. But what happens is you don't have the, your conscious mind that has a finite amount of focus. And then that means you can focus on possibility, opportunity, the things you could be grateful for you know, also as well, because it'll just keep on feeding you that same information. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when we want to be more creative, if we're just being recommended just the algorithm on, on Amazon, all the same books, then we're just reinforcing a lot of the stuff from the same yeah. perspective. And we never, you know, like you said, browse a bookstore and, and you know, where, where are you leaving room for spontaneity or for serendipity or for mm-hmm. new information or to be able to look at counter, you know, viewpoints? You know, yeah. to be able to challenge yourself and people don't do it though, because they lack the mental fortitude or energy because we're just exhausted because so many people feel like they're burnt out and because of their sleep or maybe their diet or just, you know, financial situation. I mean, it all, it all, there's not just one thing, you know, in the opening of the book is, um, our forward is written by Dr. Mark Hyman and he says in it, there's no genius pill, but Jim gives you the the process for unlocking your best brain and brightest future. And what I'm talking about here is that people just want the pill and they want that limitless pill, just like the movie that Bradley Cooper took it. And he had this eidetic memory and could learn languages and have this focus and write his book and really fast and have a surge of motivation, but then there's no pill, right? But there is a process. Yeah. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus. dot com slash acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this: you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone, so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer! It's not just for creators; any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com/tapiphone to learn more. Remember, folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, speaking of which, um, let, let's talk specifically of the process. I think that we we did a pretty good job talking about reading last time. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I do want to actually go into this time, and, and this, of course, is for very selfish reasons, is studying in particular. Because mm-hmm. I think that you know you pointed out that often uh, we actually were never taught how to study, and I realized that I wasn't because. I think I got through high school and I got really good grades in high school, good enough to get into Berkeley um, through brute force, but I got shit grades in college. And now looking back, mm-hmm. I realized it was because nobody taught me how to study. I had a friend who literally would never go to class and he got straight A's. And I realized now why it was, and it was because he knew how to study. And 
the way I want to do this is with a practical example, um, you know, kind of looking through the studying framework. So I just enrolled in Rumi, set these uh, call to action course because I wanted to become a better, better copywriter. And it's funny because I literally did exactly some of what you said this morning uh, in terms of active recall because I just finished reading your book. But can you go into the, the sort of five or six habits um, for sure. studying that we could use regardless of whether we're in college or not? Because we're studying stuff all the time. Like even this interview is an example of studying if somebody is listening to it. No, I, I love that. And study is not, it's not regulated to just students, right? I, you know, we, we have five chapters in the methodology section and study becomes is the second chapter after focus and concentration, um, which you've covered a lot on your podcast. You know, study is not just, our education doesn't stop when school stops. And so let's just state that in, um, in one of the chapters, in chapter four, my, my goal in writing this book, I remember coming back, was for people to get results. And that, that is my primary drive because I feel like people buying a book, that skill set is different than somebody reading a book and studying that book. Meaning some people, which I would say the majority of people, are very good at going online or going into a store and purchasing books. You know, some people, you know, would benefit from bookstores having like shopping carts because they buy so many books. Mm-hmm. And I get it. But then they'd sit on people's shelf and become shelf help, not self-help because people aren't actively reading it and studying it. And I think the primary reason is because they're not good at it. I mean, just think about like, I don't play a lot of golf because I'm not that good at it. You know, I would love <laughs> to do it because I get invited, you know, there are benefits because my dad yeah. plays, my, my brother plays and, um, and I would love to do that with them. But when I'm out, it's, you know, I'm not. And, and when I'm traveling, I never get to get good at it because I never get to practice. And maybe that's my self-talk, but that hasn't been a priority, but it is going to be a priority for me in the next couple of years, you know, when we could go out there and do that. Um, but I don't do it, but if I could play like Tiger Wood, I, I, would, I would be playing all the time, right? Because <laughs> you, when you're confident at something, you have confidence yeah. and you enjoy it. Well, going back to study, a lot of people were never taught to study. It's like the equivalent of, you know, a parent looking at a child and say, focus, or memorize or study. That's the yeah. equivalent for me looking at a child and saying, play the piano. Yeah. If, when the child has never taken a class on how to play the piano. And so we're never really taught how to study or how to memorize or how to speed read or how to focus. Mm-hmm. And so these are processes. And so my goal with this book is to make it the most read book that people own, meaning that when people go buy the book, you know, at, at our site, limitlessbook.com, we gift them a 10 day program on how to, to read the book. It's like an audio mm-hmm. video course on how to read and remember because I want people mm-hmm. to finish it. And we do a book club afterwards for everyone for free because I want people to read it and study it. You know, in fact, the chapter, there's a chapter of the book, chapter four literally says how to read and remember this <laughs> remember and that. any other book, yeah. <laughs> because I feel like you know, Lord, I don't know if you watched Lord of the Rings, but I, I, I watched, um, I, I modeled the book after Joseph Campbell's, how he popularized, popularized the, the power of myth and the hero's journey. And so you notice when you open it up, you know, that color um, stages of call to adventure and initiation and taking people, you know, through meeting a mentor and crossing this threshold and going into this ordeal and the reward and you know, resurrection and returning with the treasured elixir. I, I take people, I modeled it so that they could be the hero and I could be, you know, Mr. Miyagi or Yoda kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I say that because in, in the book, teaching people how to study Lord of the Rings, which is, you know, just like Star Wars, 
or Harry Potter, Wizard of Oz, there's, there's a, there's a template for the hero's journey. And, uh, in, in Lord of the Rings, they have this phrase saying, this is the, uh, the one ring to rule them all. Right. I don't know if you remember that the one ring to rule them all. And I, I want limitless to be the one book to learn them all. The one book to learn them all. And because I teach people how to read it and how to study. So let's, let's jump into this. Um, yeah. Besides the things that I, I talk about in this, in the how to read this book, and I talk about acronyms like FASTER um, and, um, and how to review it, some basic ideas that are just common sense, but not always common practice are these things like employing review and active recall. So just like as you were saying, when you're going through Ramit's program, um, which, which I also, re- I recommend, uh, I've known Ruby for a long time. I've had him on, on my podcast as well. Um, when we know that there's a learning curve, but we also know there's a forgetting curve that within 48 hours, you can learn up, you could forget upwards of 80% of the information that you, you learn. And that's like, that's not very, you know, that's not very rewarding to lose, to study something for so long and then forget it two days later. And so we know that, by employing things like active recall, meaning talking about uh, the material to other individuals, because it's not just, we don't know if it's in there by, by actively recalling it and putting it on paper or speaking about it. We know it Mm. better because how do we know if we've encoded it and stored it, if we can't uh, retrieve it. And so the process of retrieving it. And one of the ways we could do that is by learning with the intent of teaching somebody else. Like what if you went through that program or that book with the intention of teaching your team or your spouse? (laughs) It's funny you say that. I have notion notes specifically (laughs) doing that for my, my community manager, Melina, where I'm like, Hey, Melina, check this out. And I literally adjusted a blog post that I'm working on for tomorrow based on the first thing I learned in that program. And that's amazing. And then, then that helps you to be able to learn it better because you personalize it. You take better notes. Your focus is much um, more, it's sharper, certainly, because you know that there's going to be some kind of consequence where you have to be able to perform. So you have to prepare. So active mm-hmm. recall is important. Um, this habit also that is, is re- um, closely related is this area of space repetition. You know, I talk about in the book how cramming really has a, has a lot of downsides, and, um, cause we've, a lot of us, I don't know if you were one of those people, but I know most people I talked to who didn't study consistently, what they did was the night before the day before they would just go at it for seven, eight, eight hours straight. And one of the challenges is your brain really likes it to, um, to space out information. And, uh, that's an area called spaced repetition or, you know, it's kind of like an interval training for your brain, simple, but highly effective way of deliberately, kind of tapping into how your brain works. So if you separate, you first learn something and then all of a sudden the next day there's a dip. If you review it the second day, you know, you get to keep more of it and then it mm-hmm. gradually slips and gets to, you know, and then you review it again, helps to keep it up to a high level until you yeah. get to the point where a threshold where you, you get, you get this aha phase where it's just, you it's just, you don't lose it. You actually build on it because um, you're building it on a strong foundation. And so, um, so you actually start retaining more of it because you've consolidated short to long-term memory and, and other things. Other mm-hmm. things that's very important for learning better is this habit of just being in that curious state. A lot of people I notice that will approach their studies, they'll put on that online program or that podcast, but they're not really 
managing their state. And I, you know, big part of the book is state management, meaning that all learning is state dependent, that if you learn something in a bored, lethargic state, that's the state that it gets encoded in, meaning that information by itself is very forgettable, but information when it's combined with some level of emotion makes it more um, unforgettable, if you will. And remembering that we control our state, because again, Limitless is about getting your agency back, you know, getting, realizing that we are, we have more control than we often think and give ourselves credit for. Then how do you change your state? You change it through, at the very least, you could change it with your mind and your body, meaning that your psychology and your physiology, your questions, if you feel bored, you can ask yourself more empowering questions instead of like, why do I have to do this? you know, or saying something to that effect, it could be, you know, how can I, how can I learn this and enjoy the process? You know, how mm. can I make this more enjoy? How can I make this more fun and playful? Um, how can I learn it so I could teach it to somebody in, in a way that, um, that, and, you know, get them in a curious mode. Even when we're learning from a professor, let's say that person is that you're on doing the online program with is really boring. You can even get more curious and saying, how is this guy boring everybody at the same time? You know, like <laughs> if I wanted to, if I wanted to write a, write a book on, on how to bore people, how would I do about doing it? But it gets you more engaged. So manage your state, which also includes your body. A lot of people, they get tired when they read. Again, they associate, they use reading as a sedative to fall asleep because p- part of it is their attitude. Part of it is their conditioning. Um, and part of it is their posture, you know, that they're slumped over and they're not getting oxygen to their brain. And then mm-hmm. it's, it's so all learning is state dependent. Another hack that I teach in the book, and I'm just doing this more from memory. <laughs> so yeah. it's one of the benefits of writing it is using your senses, meaning that we know that the strongest sense out of the five senses is mm-hmm. when it comes to your memory is our sense of smell. It's the olfactory. And mm-hmm. probably because as it was a survival, you know, you need to know when food is rotten or potential poison or something like that. I think everyone could remember a fragrance or a food that could you could smell and it could take you back to when you're a child because it triggers you. And then so there's been some some research to suggest certain smells actually help to promote concentration, uh, uh-huh. rosemary supporting memory, um, peppermint, or um, be able to support focus and concentration. But even if you don't, you know, you can, people could look into some of the research that we cite in the book, even just having a unique smell as your reading gets coded to the information because the environment is part of the learning process. And you could maybe, we know that when you study something in the environment, you need to perform. So, for example, if you're taking a test, if you can study in that room, you know, you'll do better because unconsciously you're going to anchor a lot of the environmental triggers to the information that will help you actively retrieve it. Same thing if you need to do a Broadway play by rehearsing, you know, or doing a TED Talk in that location will help you. And for most part, that's difficult to do. But if you could bring the environment with you in the form of smell and you're studying something and you have a unique lip balm or gum or essential oil and then when you need to perform you use that same one it'll help you to trigger it um when i say using your senses not just your sense of smell you could use your sense of your auditory um Mm -hmm. your your sense of hearing meaning that there is certain music that we talk about in the book that helps to uh could be particularly valuable um, to learning and putting people into an alpha state, which is that relaxed state of awareness where we're a lot more suggestible, where our critical mind's not 
um, in there chattering away saying, you know, am I doing this right? Is this true? And, um, so we talk about music that puts you in that relaxed meditative state, specifically music that has, has about 60 beats per minute, like classical music, like from the, um, from the Baroque era, like Vivaldi, Bach, Handel, um, having that in the background to learn languages yeah. has been shown um, to be very effective. Um, and then the things like just taking notes better. Most people aren't taught how to take notes very effectively. Mm-hmm. And so we did a section in the book of a study on different um, methods of whole brain note taking. And, you know, I'm a fan of mind mapping created by uh, Tony Buzan, yep. which is more the challenge with they found that the one of the worst ways of taking notes is having everything verbatim like a full transcription <laughs> yeah and that's not as useful as having and I, i'm i'm a big proponent and advocate for handwriting notes and now i, I realize sure. again i love technology because technology could help you when it's digitized it can help you store it it can help you to mm-hmm. share it certainly easier yeah. but i've noticed that when i was reading some studies writing this book that by handwriting like you could type you know, as fast as people could, you know, pretty much speak, but you can't write that as Mm -hmm. fast. And it forces you to filter and be more active in your learning and say, is this important or how does this relate? So you're going to take notes better that way. But also having 30 pages of outline doesn't necessarily serve you because something on page 17 can be more important than something that's on page one. And so you don't see how things are connected. So mind mapping where you take the main idea and you put it right in the middle and you use color and kind of comes out like spokes of a wheel or branches of a tree trunk. You can see hundreds of books and interviews mind mapped. It's kind of, this is why, you know, I've always said verbatim transcripts of a podcast are utterly useless. Like I've never Mm -hmm. been willing to provide them mainly because I'm like, look, I'm like, fine, if you want them, you know, we can get them. You have, we put them behind a paywall. And at the same time, I'm like, by themselves, they're the raw transcripts by themselves are not useful. Even in going through them myself, I found that, wow, okay, if I go through and I highlight and I bold certain things and do what Tiago Forte calls progressive summarization, they become a thousand times more valuable. Yes. But by themselves, they're worthless. Very, very, very much so. And that's what research has found, that the, one of the best ways of taking notes is through keywords and key ideas and seeing how things mm-hmm. relate to each other. And yeah. so we, you know, we, we, we teach various methods of taking notes and Mind mapping is one of them. Very simple uh-huh. way for people. If that's too creative, quote unquote, for some people using symbols and colors and and um, that kind of expression, then something that's more linear that I would think is is much better than what how people traditionally take notes is just something I call capture create, where you take a piece of paper and put a line right down the middle, and on the left side you capture information, and on the right side you create. Meaning mm. that on the left side you take notes. And on the right side, you make notes. So you're taking notes or capturing, you know, the how to remember names and how to speed read and how to, you know, how to study. Those are the things you're capturing. But on the right side, if your mind's going to go somewhere else, instead of it being distracted and your imagination going somewhere else, put it on the right side and write your impressions of the things you're capturing. You know, mm. things like, how am I going to use this? How does it re- relate to what I know? How, um, why must I use this? How am I going to teach this to somebody else? You know, and then, then you have more of a whole, whole way of yeah. taking notes. And I really do believe that we don't learn solely just by capturing or consuming information. The, the human brain doesn't primarily learn through consumption, just being lectured to the human brain learns a whole lot better through creation and creativity, which mm-hmm. is why I love your show. 
Yeah. Wow. It, it, it's kind of funny. So uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on reading only because we talked about it last time, but there is something I do want to ask you uh, mm-hmm. because of the fact that yours is one of the rare moments and only because I knew we were doing the interview and I wanted to make sure that I actually read the book beforehand mm-hmm. uh, where I had to, I was forced to read the Kindle book, which I personally can't stand Kindle books. Like I mm-hmm. absolutely hate digital books um, because I find them hard to read. Like I even publish this with emails like, Hey, here's a PDF. And I was like, no, I need you to send me a physical copy. And of course with the, the coronavirus situation, I've been, you sure. know, forced to adapt. Um, I noticed that I can read faster, but I, I, I actually don't prefer it because I know that I definitely don't retain, you know, I, I mean, yeah. I, and I don't think it's a coincidence that literally Ryan Holiday, Stephen King, like every author that you talk to who has written extraordinary books swears by physical books. Yeah. And um, what is, I mean, what is your research showing about that in particular? Um, I'm the same way. So for yeah. personal preference for me, I, um, I, I like print books, um, just like I like hand note taking. I, one of the reasons why it's, it's similar. And I, I love just like audio. I love podcasts and I love audio books, but yeah. reading a book is different than listening to a book. Well, it's funny cause I hate audio books. <laughs> well, that's being interesting. A <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I don't want to, and, that's that's it's it's interesting i love i think people have preferences on how they consume yeah. like to consume information the studies on audiobooks and and compared to physical print books um yeah. people get more out of um physical print books uh, than uh, audiobooks and one of the reasons why is because i would imagine as the research suggests is because if you're listening to it you're probably doing something else meaning right, you're probably right. listening to the podcast or audiobook while you're driving or working out or cleaning the house. And so part of it has distraction. I also think listening to stuff and I'll get your, your, your question um, yeah. in a moment is also when you're listening is a little bit more passive and, but when reading you're much more active and it's, it's engaging a different part of your brain. Um, going back to, for me, um, I, I see because we have a lot of students that the ones that really succeed. And again, for, we've been doing this for a long time and we have speed reading students in every country in the world that people tour the better readers tend to read print books. Now, I, I'm the first to agree, though, when I'm traveling and I, I'm, an, I'm a very active reader. But when I'm traveling for two weeks, it's not very practical for me to carry like, you know, 12 books with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and on planes and everything. So, you know, when forced to, I guess, again, technology is very convenient. Um, for me, it's it's something that's physical that I could hold, and I know you could hold the screen. It's the act of I, I have a very active note taking, and so I use a lot of symbols that I can't that don't easily translate to screens. Yeah. Um, of me, you know, even though you can with with your digital device highlight things and and do other things, for me, it helps me to be able to to physically. I think we're physical creatures, and that mm-hmm. their sense of sight and and our sense of touch are very intimately linked. Um, in our nervous system. Um, and also, I, and another preference for me is I don't like looking at screens more than I need to. Right. Um, I feel like we are bombing a screen all the time. Yeah. And it's just, uh, and there are effects that we mm-hmm. maybe might not be aware of, of just looking at an electric, electrical device just constantly. And so yeah. I like to give my eyes a, a rest. And, but there's something visceral about, as you've mentioned, whether it's Ryan or Steven or yourself of yeah. turning through pages and then, and, and having that kinesthetic 
connection mm-hmm. to it as opposed to something yeah. that's that's digital. Oh, I, I absolutely will be ordering the physical copy of your book after this conversation. Like I, I like I said, I got the Kindle version specifically so I could get through it for our for our mm-hmm. interview, but I want to make sure I have a physical copy so I can read it again because I, I just know the retention is different. Speaking of retention, let's talk about memory briefly. Um, it's kind of hilarious because my roommate and I joke that he often says, he's like, you remember more about my life than I do. He's like, you correct my <laughs> stories of my memories. And I was like, yeah, but you tell them to me. And so I think we're in this very interesting place with memory where you have people like Tiago Forte who talk about building a second brain, which I Mm -hmm. find invaluable in terms of my ability to process information. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I were talking about this earlier. I think some of what he's, the work he's done around personal knowledge management has been really a godsend for me um, and a lot of people. And yet, you know, the idea of a second brain is, and I don't think what he's saying is that we want to outsource human memory, but I think he's making a point of, okay, there are certain things we we shouldn't have to keep in our memory. We should just have accessible. But to your point, there is profound value to memorization. Like I realize I'm an encyclopedia of all sorts of weird shit from 700 interviews um, from, you know, everybody from criminal justice experts to bank robbers, to drug dealers, to people like yourself. It's a very bizarre skill set to have. Like, I really wish I could figure out how to take everything I've learned from all these people and just, you know, if I did, I would be literally superhuman. I mean, I've gotten to talk to Elon Musk's ex-wife, but I'm not building Tesla. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, let, let's talk about his memory. And, and I guess the question then becomes like, how would I take all of this information um, that I've gathered from a thousand books and all these people I've interviewed and, and channel it into my own life? So that's a great question. Um, and this is something that I, I teach at places like Google where their, their mission is to organize all the information. And I, I got people have asked me even in those trainings, like Jim, why do I have to remember information that we have a search engine for? And I completely get that idea. And for me, there's a couple of reasons why, first of all, and then how, and I'll get to the how, but why we want to do it is because if we lost half of our memory, we know we wouldn't be as effective as if we lost half the words or understandings or expertise or more people's name, whatever, we wouldn't be able to perform as well. Because ultimately going back to life is the C between B and D comes down to choice and decisions that we can only make good decisions based on the information we currently have inside of us. Right. And so if we lost half of that information, we wouldn't be able, we'd be at a, you know, we would have a handicap for sure. And, but if we were able to retain more of it, important information, then we could be able to perform and make better, better decisions. Um, the other reason why is because, you know, your memory is like a muscle. I, I refer to it more like a muscle um, than anything else that you want to be memory fit, you know, brain fit. And that if we, if I put my arm in a sling for six months, it wouldn't grow stronger. It wouldn't even stay the same. It would atrophy. And that's what digital dementia is. You know, this new term in in healthcare where we're so dependent on our smartphones as external memory. So that being said, I I just like how I don't want to take a lift to go five blocks when I could walk it or, you know, take an elevator when I could do the stairs. There's a physical you know, toll, same thing as a mental toll. So I like to challenge myself and be, have had the strongest memory because that's the thing I want to do. So when I, when I'm older, that I still have that resilience, that mental fitness, um, and it's engaged and I have still have the ability to remember the things I want to remember overall. Yeah. Now, how to be able to take the thousands and the hundreds of books and, and, and hundreds of conversations you've had with individuals. I like having external um, devices and journals because I feel like writing it down and consolidating it. For me, yeah. I have notes on all these things and I have very specific questions that I'm looking to 
ask and answer. And so when I'm going through a podcast, there are these white spaces of information I just don't know and I don't have clarity on and I haven't decided on, you know, what's what's most useful and practical for me. So I'm going in with the intention of answering those questions all the time and looking for those answers. So they are very conscious and um, very mindful of those because a lot of people will read things and forget what they just read because they don't have an intention or they don't know what their outcome is. Now, my, my outcome always is to ask these three primary questions. How can I use this? Why must I use this? And when will I use this? And that drives a lot of my learning from taking knowledge and turning into real, real power. Um, one of the things that I, another question I ask is how can I teach this to other people? Because the primary reason to learn anything is for me, number one, has how I could benefit. And then when I start seeing results, I can't help but teach other people. And that's how I started this yeah. journey over 28 years ago, you know, I, I, I re- went from below normal to normal to above normal. And I started to tutor. And one of my first students, she read 30 books in 30 days, all in health and wellness, saved her mom's life from this terminal cancer diagno- diagnosis she was given by doctors. And that's when I realized the power of learning, that knowledge is power, learning is our superpower. But to, to be very specific, how I feel like I can learn it best and how I was able to accelerate my learning was by teaching it. Now, primarily it was through, you know, classes. So I would have to learn all this information, consolidate it, integrate it, get rid of the things that just wasn't, um, give me the return. Cause I'm not, I'm not emotionally attached to any specific methodology or ideology. Like some people like really focus just like in anything in marketing, they focus on this one, you know, discipline, and that's their way or in health, they focus on this one thing. And for me, it's kind of like in the book, you notice that I, one of them, I highlighted Bruce Lee for a couple of pages and he really integrated. He didn't just focus on an old style Wing Chun, right? And he saw the limitations there and he wanted to, he wasn't married to any, any dogma and he would pull from you know, Western boxing, you know, from fencing and learn and integrate and get rid of the things that didn't work. And that's what I did for this book. You know, the idea of consuming thousands, you know, three decades of information, thousands of books, you know, Mm -hmm. the the financial investment alone, people don't have to go through. I put what works and field tested over 25 years into a book. And so I think that best way I would say is to write it down and record it. And as I have for years, you know, from the very beginning in journals, and Mm -hmm. it's nice to see, you know, your thought process. And, but, you know, I integrate all these thoughts together. So if I needed to put something together, whether it's memory focus, I'm pulling from so many interviews and so much personal experience and then recording it and then teaching it. And it was an interesting process. I don't know how you were with the book, but taking all this research and putting it into 300 pages yeah. you know, when it, and then expanding it from just, <laughs> I've had to do that to, myself to it's, motive. Right. And then adding yeah. just not methodology, but mindset and motivation to two other areas totally. that I feel keep you from, you know, it's still in that box. I felt like yeah. I had to consolidate three books into, into one and everything I put mm-hmm. in there, I needed to be high return because my goal is for people to get, results. But for me, I take ample notes, um, not just take notes, but I make notes. And so that's my creative process. And then I, and then I teach it as soon as I can, because Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm, my goal is not just inspiration or just ideation or even implementation. My goal is, is integration. You know, when all mindset, motivation and methods cross over that sweet spot or inspiration, ideation and, and integration come together is that area of integration and integration like integer or integral means you're whole. 
And I wanted to come from that place where everything is aligned. I'm not fighting with myself. And I thought the best way of doing it is expressing it through the written mm -hmm. word and through my, my speech. And that, yeah. that way I would have to really organize it in a way that's, that's clear and impactful. Yeah. Well, um, well, I feel like I could talk to you for like two or three hours <laughs> just because I, I mean, like I said, I haven't read the book. We could have done like literally one episode for a chapter. I mean, I hands down one of the most tactical books I've come across in a long time, uh, which is why I was very, you know, was I was literally hounding you for, for those of you who don't know, I must've sent Jim two or three emails to be like, yo, can you come back to the podcast? Uh, so I really, really appreciate you coming back. Uh, so I want to finish with my final question, which I know I've asked you before. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? So I, I've always loved the title of your show. Um, for me, unmistakable really is, you know, as it is defined, I would imagine, I haven't looked this up, but is, you know, not able to be mistaken for something else. And for me, I feel like what makes us distinctive and what makes us our uniqueness is our, is our story and who we are. I believe that to truly be unmistakable is to have the curiosity to know yourself, meaning that we are all individuals and this process of knowing ourselves, knowing like who we are, what we stand for, notice, knowing the values that are important to us, the beliefs that support those values, you know, our talents, our skills, having the curiosity to know yourself. And then the second part of being unmistakable is once you know yourself, you know, the curiosity to know yourself is having the courage to be yourself. Because some people do a lot of the self-reflection and they meditate or they do talk therapy or they go through, you know, these processes and they get an, they get this very more clear idea of who they are, but then they don't act in accordance with who they are. And it takes courage mm -hmm. to really be who you are, you know, going full circle to how we started the conversation, especially in a world where, you know, sometimes we dim ourselves to be able to fit into a box of other people's expectations and, and in other people's opinion. So for me, unmistakable means like that is your superpower, is your uniqueness. So discover it and develop it and be it. So really know yourself, trust yourself, love yourself, and then be yourself. Amazing. Well, where can people find out more about you, your work, uh, the book and everything else that you're up to? So a limitless book is the place that, that everyone's going to, because there's a big um, gift there when people were doing something special. I mentioned that we wanted everyone to read this book, make it the most read book on their shelf. And to, to that end, when people go to limitlessbook.com, there's a 10 day audio video companion course that I gift you. And so when you're waiting for your book to arrive, which it's available now, um, you could actually go through it and learn about the three M's, the framework for becoming limitless and how to unleash your mindset, your limitless motivation, and some of the methods, including focus, study, memory, and speed reading. So when the book shows up, you're more at to finish that book. That's my goal is for you to finish and apply the book. And we're also going to do a four week book club when everybody has their book. I'm going to do four sections to the hero's journey, main sections, and I'm going to spend one week per section and showing everybody how to read it. We're all going to share um, how we're applying it. I'm going to teach you how to remember the important parts 
And then there's two bonus chapters also, Limitless Model Applied Towards Businesses. So for you entrepreneurs out there, whether you have three people or 300 people, how to create limitless organizations and learning organizations. And then the second bonus chapter is Limitless for Kids. So for parents who are listening to this or for educators, we're going to take the Limitless Model and there's a bonus chapter on how to apply it for your children um, in terms of their mindset, how to motivate them, and also the methods that they could have and maybe should have learned back in school. But that's all at limitlessbook.com. And I would actually challenge everybody. Part of the big book is it's filled with these quick starts um, exercises. So you can't go more than a page or two pages without having a quick start exercise that takes less than 60 seconds. And it's all about the science of small, simple steps that I believe that a lot of people make things bigger in their mind. And that's why they don't take action consistently. And so you need to ask yourself, what is the tiniest action I could take to make progress towards this goal where I can't fail? So the book is filled with those quick starts. And I would say one thing you could do right now, a small, simple step, is to take a screenshot of this episode and tag us both in it and post it and share your one thing that you got out of this conversation. Because again, when we teach something, we get to learn it better. We get to learn it twice. And so take a screenshot, tag us both. I'm at Jim Quick. You set the spell it right, K-W-I-K, on uh, social media. And then I'll repost some of my favorites, and I'll actually gift one random person as a thank you for listening to this show, uh, a signed copy of the book. So that would be it, limitlessbook.com. And our podcast is Quick Brain. So you could just search my name on on your podcast app and, um, and social media. Sweet. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us uh, for a second time and uh, share all of your wisdom and insight with our listeners. This has been, as I expected, packed with so much value and insight. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for for making space for this. And then, you know, I think especially now it's so important. You know, another reason why I appreciate your show would be some besides the through line of unmistakable, like creative, because I think the future belongs to the creators is um, the world we're in right now. I think we need somebody to encourage us, to be able to educate us, to be able to inspire us, to be able to counterbalance a lot of the things that's out there. Because while viruses and fear is contagious, so is positivity, so is performance, so is wisdom, so is kindness. And that stuff is free, so sprinkle that stuff everywhere. But thank you, everyone, for, for participating. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Did you know that every Sunday, our community manager, Melina, sends out 10 key takeaways from episodes just like this one? All you have to do to receive it is sign up for our newsletter. Just visit unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter, and you'll get them delivered right to your inbox. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.